Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But joining us now to talk a little NBA. One of our favorites on a weekly basis, and it's been a lot of fun uh, to have Howard Beck on the program, and he joins us on a Thursday. Howard, I think it's the last day I can say happy holidays, according to, to Larry David. So I will say that. Happy New Year. How you doing, man? <laughs> happy New Year. Happy holidays. Yeah, we're reaching the outer limit here. Like, I think by the end of the week, you, you just have to stop. If you're saying it in mid-January, uh, like, I'm going to look askew at you. So did you go to, like, a Michael Stipe art show on New Year's Eve in Brooklyn? <laughs> Howard, what uh, what did New Year's Eve look like for you? Uh fairly boring considering that i got covid on christmas and like finally tested negative um the morning like new year's eve so um we had a fairly quiet day and and evening you know i i I, we did get to go out to dinner at least um but yeah we watched the ball drop from home like any sane person would anyway i don't listen i've been living in new york now for almost 20 years we've never gone to times square that's it's a tourist thing anyway but every year that i have seen that to even just on TV, I just think like, how, why, like, I, 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 it's, it's, it's crazy. And it wasn't even like they got cold or anything, but those people are out there for like literally hours and hours and they can't go to the bathroom. I don't know. It's, uh, it's strange decisions people make. I am the oldest of six children, Howard. And the first year we moved back East, my parents decided we're going to do the thing. And my parents have lived there for 35 years. That was the first and last time we did the thing. <laughs> The time's yeah. worth. It, it, it's it's chaos. It's like lunacy. I mean, I'm sure some people can have a good time, but I, I'm with you, man. If you've never done it, I, I don't think you should. I really don't. I mean, we're too old for that anyway. Sure. But I, knowing what I know about how that whole thing actually functions and what the people have to put themselves through Oof. and for how many hours and all of the other gross aspects of this that you can imagine. No. Um, even if I were still like 20, I'm not doing it. Yeah. No, no. Well said. And just side note. So are you telling me that COVID is real? Am I supposed to believe you, Howard? Have you done your own research? COVID is actually real. I've spent many, mm. many hours on YouTube yeah. and other very reputable sites. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I have concluded it is real. Um, fortunately, this was a, a milder case. The first time I got it was brutal. Okay. So you're a sheep is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I also had it uh, right before Christmas. It put me, it was my first time. It put me on my rear for like three days. So glad you're feeling better. Let's Thank move you. over here, Howard. The Jazz are kind of good, question mark. I mean, they're nine and three in their last 12. So they're playing better. Uh, what do you make of the recent run of play from the Jazz? Yeah, and in that stretch, I think they're top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. So um, a nice little surge, you know, some of it's getting guys back and getting healthy, getting some continuity, all of that. And then, you know, you, you hate to say it, but it's just true. Schedule was pretty accommodating. Mm-hmm couple of games against Detroit and one of them took overtime and both times I think the whole country was watching thinking like is well the first time was is this going to be the night and then by the time they saw him the second time the Pistons had gotten had broken their streak but um you don't want to be the first one to lose the Pistons but you don't want to lose them anyway period and um but still you know what a couple of good wins in that stretch too you know a, 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 you know, a soft overall schedule but beating the Heat and the Mavs those are good wins those are quality wins um and they're legit 
Uh, the schedule's about to get, as I'm sure your listeners are aware, much, much harder. You know, the, the three-game Eastern trip with Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee is just – that's just brutal. They come back, they're going to play Denver. They're going to get the Lakers and the Pacers. Um, and then there's that six-game road trip to finish the month. And so, um, you know, whatever they are, I think we'll know more after the next three to four weeks. And I, I suspect it's going to be – not as good as the this last stretch of of 11 12 games but maybe not as bad as the first you know four weeks or whatever so they've won i think it's seven of eight it might be eight of nine at home um and, and i wondered howard i'm not sure I've, I've asked you this before i know you've spent time here in the past and it's well known out here that larry miller went about his business to build the delta center in a very specific annoying way for the opposing teams uh the fans are right on top of you uh, it's built like a cement box. There's a reason why concerts there aren't great. It's not built for music. It's built for noise. And almost every year, the Jazz are good at home. Uh, there's altitude. Uh, there's also the scheduling dynamic where it seems like a lot of teams rolling here on a back-to-back. As, as, as an outsider looking in, what, how do you articulate why this home court advantage in Salt Lake is consistently very good even when the team isn't necessarily elite? Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, the only time I've been there recently was for the all-star game back in, in uh, last February. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a long time since I've been like once this is no knock on, on Salt Lake city. I just haven't hit a lot of places. Once I moved off of, a, of an actual beat sure. you know, covering a team. Right. Sure. So when I was covering the Lakers or the Knicks, I, I saw every city at least once a year um, for the last 10 years, it's been kind of, you know, if there's a feature story or something specific or the finals uh, might bring me somewhere. Um, I do remember, though, from my earliest days in the late 90s covering the Lakers, like that was one of the loudest places mm-hmm. in the league. Yeah. And I, I suspect that has not changed much, if at all. And Correct. part of it, yes, the, de- yeah. the design, um, the passion of the fans there, all of that contributes. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, Salt Lake along with Denver, those are, the, those are the elevation teams. And that is definitely a built-in advantage. But, you know, that can be a little bit negated if your crowds are out of it or if your team obviously is terrible. Um, but even in the years where Utah hasn't been great, they've they've usually had teams that played hard. They've always been well coached, whether it was Jerry Sloan or, you know, Quinn Snyder. Like, I, I just think that the consistency of the way that that team has functioned and the fans and the elevation, like all of that kind of conspires to, to create a home court advantage. But, you know, um, I think more than anything, but when we look across the league and say, oh, great, you know, Oklahoma City, great home court. Yeah, yeah, Thunder fans, phenomenal. But, like, much bigger home court advantage when they had, you know, Durant, Westbrook, and Harden in their prime than, you know, in the, you know, little bit of a fallow period they had um, before they were able to build this new powerhouse that they're building. Um, so, you know, ta- talent, I think, is ultimately the old, you know, that's the ultimate determinant uh you know, uh, indicator of home court is like, if you're just a really great team. Right. No, absolutely. But you know, this is not a great team, but the fans are still there. They're still loud and they've won a lot of games at home. And I always find it interesting to discuss kind of why I want to bring you in on a debate that we've been having and a topic that we've discussed on the show, because, you know, Gordon Hayward, who of course left here under some pretty uncomfortable circumstances, the final two years he played for Quinn and played for the jazz he was really special. He was really good, trending on his way to potentially be being something really, really good for a team like Boston. We know that the injuries set in. Uh, the Jazz back then were playing a very defensive brand of basketball with Gobert kind of evolving. So they were last in the league in possessions, yet Hayward still averaged about 23 
five and four, uh, worked his way into a really solid defender, showed up after ditching the Jim Carrey dumb and dumber bowl cut and just looked like a different player uh, for the final two years he was here. And I feel like marketing, Lowry marketing has shown enough in about a year and a half to really rise up when it comes to the debates of who would you rather build a team around peak Hayward or peak marketing based off of what we've seen. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, that's spicy. Um, <laughs> I, I had not considered uh, the thought, so give me a second here as a process. I, listen, the, the beauty of Peak Hayward was he was a really, I think, top-shelf kind of playmaker, right? Like, um, even as I'm pulling up his his stats now, like, he averaged five assists a season one year uh, for the Jazz, or a couple times, or no, excuse me, once, once. Um, but I, I think... I like having a guy who can score 20 plus a game, but who is also going to keep his teammates involved yeah. and is, is kind of always looking to play make. Um, and if you can combine 20 plus points a game with four to five assists consistently, uh, I, I, I tend to like that. My, my natural bias or, or just my instincts as somebody watching the game is I kind of, I, you know, prefer those guys than somebody who's just really super ball dominant, great scorer, but is kind of a solo act. And I'm not saying marketing is that at all. Um, but I think if you were going to point to the one place that you would love to see some growth from marketing, it's, it would be in, in playmaking and in, in assists and assists aren't the purest or most reliable indicator all the time. Um, and we now have, because with tracking stats, we could, we could look at uh, potential assists and hockey assists and all kinds of other ways of, of measuring how often a guy passes. But I would say for a guy with the usage rate that marketing has, Averaging only, you know, assist and a half to two assists a game is probably lower than ideal. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're definitely more dynamic with ball in hand, right? Uh, and and Lowry isn't necessarily that. That's not his game. But let me move it over here to the second part of this because, you know, Hayward leaves, everybody melts down, and then Dennis Lindsay drafts Donovan, and Donovan steps in and obviously was very dynamic. And, you know, over the course of that time period where Quinn was the coach and Gobert was winning defensive player of the year and Mitchell was rising up the ranks of young stars, the topic would often come up like, what do what does this team need in order to go from very good to like elite and championship contender? And, and part of me was like, they kind of need Hayward, right? They kind of need like the guy that they lost. What does a team of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Gordon Hayward, Boyan Bogdanovich, Rudy Gobert, and then Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, you know, that group, guys coming off the bench. What does that team look like in the landscape of the NBA, Howard? What does the previous incarnation of the Jazz look like if they were still together now? No, no like if Hayward didn't bolt and Mitchell oh, oh. was drafted and, and, sorry, yeah. and Mitchell did the Mitchell thing and they trade for Mike Conley and they have Gobert, like essentially the great teams with Quinn yeah. Snyder with a healthy Gordon Hayward. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think he would have taken him up another half notch at least. Um, you know, I, I think I don't want to. This is an imperfect analogy, but like you know, Joe Ingles played a little bit of that role. He wasn't the scorer, right? But he was the secondary playmaker. They did need more playmaking during that period, and I think Donovan Mitchell is kind of a hybrid guard. You know, um, you know, having yet another playmaking uh, type force out there as Gordon Hayward in his prime was who can score and pass. I think it just would have made them that much more dynamic offensively. And they were all obviously already elite defensively. Does that mean they would have made a finals? I, I, 
that you know that's that's a hard hypothetical to contemplate. All right, moving off the jazz here. Uh, and apologies for catching you off guard with that. I just I don't want to have you on the show every week and be like, let's talk about Colin Sexton, right? Like I've got to figure out a way to keep this interesting for you, Howard. But <laughs> no, I liked it. That was good stuff. I appreciate it. Let's let's move off the jazz because the past couple of weeks I've asked you, is it time to say that Minnesota is definitely a threat to win the West? I gotta ask you about OKC. I gotta ask you about the Thunder now who had a great win against Boston. And when you look at, like, we just talked about the Jazz recent run where they're winning, but they've been playing some really, really bad teams. You look at what OKC has done. They beat Denver twice. Like, they are beating some of the best teams in the league. I know they're young. We haven't seen this in the playoffs. And I'm always the guy that if I've seen something in the playoffs, I will lace my predictions in something that I've already seen. So I'm just wondering where you're at with the Thunder a good young team, a fun young story, and whether or not we should start talking about them as a legitimate Western Conference contending team. If you'd asked me in October preseason, so what do you think of the Thunder? I would have said really good team to potentially a great team, but young on the rise. They're going to make the playoffs this year. They may even make the top six. They may even get one of the guaranteed spots in the playoffs. And I think that's probably as much optimism as I would have mustered at that time just because – they were so young and unproven, and, and we hadn't seen Chet Holmgren play in the NBA yet, right? Um, and you couldn't know exactly how that was, how he would mesh with them, how ready he would be, um, how he would hold up under, under, under it all. And like, that's the, like, he's, it's, it's several elements. Part of it is Chet Holmgren and, and just the, the defensive force and two way force he's become instantly for them. Part of it is Shea Gildas Alexander making yet another leap. Um, Jalen Williams continuing to evolve. Like it's, it's a little bit of everything, but yeah, I mean, I, now it feels like the sky's the limit. Now it feels like, and, and I would look, we are more than whatever, a third of the way into the season. Um, and if you just even look at who they've beaten recently, they beat the Timberwolves who have had the best record in the West. Uh, they beat the Nuggets, the defending champs. They beat the Celtics all in the last you know week or so here. It's one thing to pile up some early season wins or get off to a hot start or you're a young team and you catch some teams off guard or whatever. By the time you get to early January and you're also beating quality teams like that night after night, it's not just like this this cute little early season story anymore. No, they're legit. I think they're absolutely legit. Um, the only hesitation I have at all about saying that they could make the finals is is back to youth because youth doesn't tend to win in this league you usually have to to go through it right you usually have to go from lottery team to lower tier playoff team get your butt kicked lose in the first round come back the next year maybe get your butt kicked again in the first round eventually you win a series or two it usually is a process but they're just so good and so solid and they don't play like a young team that i i you know i i don't i don't doubt that they can do it now if everybody's healthy come April, the Nuggets should be the favorites. Um, but I think the Thunder and the Timberwolves are both going to have to be reckoned with at, at a minimum. Any Anyone, I mean, T-Wolves, Thunder, Denver, and I agree with you about Denver. Uh, it's not a hot take, right? We've seen it. Anyone, like the Clippers stuff is real. I'm going to be, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's real that they've been better, I guess is how I'll say that. I think New Orleans is good. I'll be stubborn on them. I'm not sure that there's, and then, of course, there's Phoenix, but I kind of feel like the Phoenix discourse is starting to sound like the Brooklyn discourse where it was Harden and Durant and Kyrie. And it's like, okay, if they're right, it's historic, but they were never able to get right. 
Is there anyone else you would put on a list of legitimate teams that can win the West besides Minnesota, OKC, and Denver right now? I think the Clippers can. Um, we, we all hesitate with the Clippers because of their track record, their their health and injury record, and they just it just feels hard to trust them. But what they've been doing over the last several weeks, last month or so, is is absolutely legit, and there's a ton of firepower there. And, yeah, they just need Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to stay healthy and, and obviously James Harden to boot. Um, I think the Clippers can can win the West, yes. I have doubts about the Kings. I have – I don't trust the Pelicans. Um, I, like, I like a lot about the Pelicans. And, I again, I think they're a team we should respect, and they're a legit force. But winning the West, winning three rounds um, – beating more seasoned teams. I, I don't, you know, we've never really, we've never seen Zion in the playoffs because right. he's never been healthy. Yeah. Uh, and no, I don't trust, I've never trusted the Suns. I, I've never, I have not been a fan of this construction the entire time, but I, I also think it's foolish to write off a team that has Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, assuming that they're healthy in the spring. And then I don't, you know, I don't know what to make, make of the Lakers. They, they seem like they're in about, you know, on the verge of a meltdown and, and, you know, di- you know, a, a discord in the locker room or discord between players and coach that's been reported. Um, so yeah, uh, I, there's still a really good, strong list of teams that have a legitimate chance to push the nuggets at minimum. And, but how many can actually knock them out is, is hard to say. So I have, Copyrighted the phrase in-season tournament curse, Howard. I think that's where we're at with the Lakers. I, I think that's the deal. Well, uh, listen, curse or no curse, <laughs> I will say this as one of the. I think I am one of the few still like holdouts on the tournament. I'm, I'm not a, like I'm not against it. I'm not for it. I've just been kind of a skeptic, and I remain a skeptic. Mm-hmm. But also like the championship itself. My biggest problem with this whole concept has been, what does that championship mean? What does it actually mean to win the NBA cup? How is this thing meaningful? And I think the worst the Lakers do post cup. And again, I'm not saying it's because they had to go all out to win it. It's not a hangover thing. It's more just you won it. And it's a title that you win in mid December. If the rest of your season goes down the drain, and right now the Lakers are spiraling a bit. If they miss the playoffs or if they're a play-in team and they get knocked out in the play-in, what did it mean to win this cup in December? What did it mean to win the tournament at all? And I feel like the worse you do after that, the more it supports my point that this this whole exercise is, feels a little hollow. Yeah, yeah. All right, Um, the Jazz, after beating the upstart Pistons last night <clears throat> in overtime, uh, they hit the road now at Boston, at Philly, at Milwaukee. Those are the three best teams in the East. So when the Jazz come back home to face Denver, you know what? I'll expand the question. Over the next four games, Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Denver, what constitutes like a decent run for this team over the next four (laughs) based off of what we just saw? You know, they're able to beat the bad teams in the league, and now it gets real. (sighs) Listen, I I think they'll be fortunate to to win one of those. 0-4 should not be shocking. And 0 and 4 should not even be considered an indictment. Like those teams are just really, really good. They're gr- or good to great. Um, they're not supposed to beat those teams. If you if you somehow even went, you know, like one and three, cool. You, you got one against a really good team. You went two and two. I'd be very impressed. Uh, I I would not expect that. I I think this is where where things start to you know the the uh, the law of averages and the laws of, of physics and the schedule and everything else come into play. Certainly. Since you and I last spoke, a deal was made in the league. Uh, New York acquires OG Ananobi. 
R.J. Barrett goes north. Some other pieces, of course, involved. Uh, Manuel Quickly, a player who I like a lot, is also a Raptor now, and there are other pieces to match salaries. What do you make of the deal? It feels like most people kind of liked it for both teams. What do you make of the trade we saw not too long ago, Howard? It was interesting because, you know, Knicks fans are really attached to Emmanuel quickly. Um, and some still with R.J. Barrett, too, but they love quickly. And so when the trade first came across the wires and I was looking at social media, Knicks fans in my feed were just like going nuts uh, to the, in the negative direction. Um, but I think that that has changed rather quickly once they saw Ananobi on the court with their with their starters and the kind of defense, obviously, that he can play. Um, the, the, the dude's absolutely elite, just a beast, can guard one through five. And it, it, this is a trade that I – like, the early returns are very good for both teams. Now, you don't want to judge everything based on just a, a few games on either side of it, but it made sense for both sides. Uh, the, the, the Raptors clearly needed to, to move in a different direction – and Ananobi was a threat to leave in free agency, and they've been talking about whether they were going to trade him for at least a year or two. It's not the payoff that that I think a lot of people thought it might be. They had a, reportedly rejected multiple first-round picks, and here it was they got players instead. But Barrett, in addition to being Canadian, always a plus in Toronto, um, there's still some upside there. He's still pretty young. I, I'm not a big Barrett believer. I think he's just a solid starter. I don't think he's ever going to be a star. Quickly is just a, a really talented and energetic offensive player who also can, can really guard the ball too. Um, and it, it made sense. That was a, that was a, 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 for the present and for the future for Toronto, that made sense. And for the Knicks, their defense, absolutely, especially since Mitchell Robinson went down, they needed somebody else out there who can guard, but also in today's NBA, you know, Mitchell Robinson's a great rim protector, but having a guy like OG Ananobi who can actually guard multiple positions you know, on the perimeter, um, take on the other team's best score night after night is just incredibly valuable. So I thought it was a great deal for for both teams, especially for the Knicks. They do lose some offensive punch off the bench, and they're going to have to figure out how to, to to just manufacture some more playmaking and scoring along the way. But it's it's a worthwhile trade off. It's a sad day uh, for your old buddy Chris Mannix. Before I say you lose, I just got to kick the tires on Ricky Rubio. Uh, retiring. And I remember just giving Chris a ton of grief uh, for how much he loved Rubio. And, you know, Howard, we had Ricky here for a few years. He was a delight. I mean, he was great uh, yeah. to the community. He was fun to interview and he played well. He had a triple double, even though Clarkson had the first one in 75 million years in the regular season the other night. Uh, but what are your thoughts after 12 years as Ricky Rubio has announced he's retiring from pro basketball? When you let off with the idea that it was a, a, a sad day for Mannix, I thought like his his favorite like uh, hair products had suddenly no. <laughs> been taken off the market. Oh, I'm but, glad um, to see things are the same with the two of you. Excellent, that's great. <laughs> they, they absolutely are. Good. Um, <laughs> listen, uh, I, the, the first thought on Ricky Rubio is just simply I, I hope I hope he's okay, and I hope he is 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 whether it's on the basketball side or the personal side. Obviously, um, this has been an issue where where it's been about his mental health and about trying to just uh, get himself right and just take care of himself. Uh, I didn't have a lot of interaction with him over the course of his career, but somebody whose game was really easy to love and enjoy. And everybody I know in my line of work who ever covered him absolutely loved Ricky Rubio. So just wishing him all the best. And, you know, unfortunately we won't see him in the NBA again, but, you know, again, like the, the first thing has to be, you know, making sure that you're okay. And so I'm uh, just, just wishing him all the best. 
Well said. All right, my man. Appreciate the time. Have a great week and weekend ahead, and we'll chat soon. Thank you, Howard. Sounds good, Spence. Talk to you later. All right, the great Howard back now with our friends at The Ringer, with Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo in that group. Spent time with uh, the New York Times, the L.A. Daily News. He was the beat writer for the Knicks. And then the L.A. Lakers landed at the Bleacher Report, kind of helped start that thing, then spent uh, some years with Sports Illustrated before they decided to move on from actual writers and hire AI to write their uh, sports coverage. Landed with the ringer. He's the best. Love to have him on the show. And uh, back in the day when I did the show with Gordon, Howard was a consistent guest of ours, and now it's good to have him back. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.